Hello and welcome to Politics in the Pulpit. This is a lecturing based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of whether and if so how politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Beth Alison Glennie, I'm a Baptist minister and I'm working for the Baptist Union of Great Britain as their public issues enabler and I'm part of the joint public issues team. Each week I'm joined by a guest from a different place or space on the political or pulpit landscape. And today I'm really pleased to introduce the writer and poet, the Reverend Lucy Berry. Here I am. Hello, welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Lucy. Um, politics so, and pulpit, it's one of those phrases that gets kind of bounded about. And I just wonder, why have you agreed to, why have you agreed to come on today? What, what is that? What does that phrase mean for you? What, politics in the pulpit? Um, I don't see how we avoid it, but also I'm wondering whether, from my point of view, it would be politics from the pulpit. You know, there's something about people objecting to that. They, 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 they dislike the idea of politics from the pulpit. You know, there's, there's this thing of don't talk about politics, babies, or I can't remember what the third thing was at dinner parties in the old days. In Victorian times, you couldn't talk about them, but then what is there left? Mm. Politics is everything. Everywhere. I think it's religion. I think it's the other thing, isn't it? <laughs> religion and babies. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just we we talk about babies today, and we'll just we'll just get all three. <laughs> um, I wonder a bit about your context. Um, do you do you think you're? Um, do you, would you describe yourself as political? I know you've done some work uh, in the past uh, helping public issues team um is there something that you kind of think from your your context to your situation that would make you political not political I, I i am political i don't like any kind of any kind of politics because i don't like where there are power dynamics that i don't like power fighting each other uh, i i don't like two sources of power usually one oppressed and usually one oppressing, fighting it out. But I'm very drawn to trying to see the resolution of that. And, and, and I'm also very interested and affected by a lot of people who I know who have just sort of dropped out the bottom end and have no politics now because they have no power homeless people being a particular one, where if you don't have an address, you can't be paid because you can't have a bank account. We know about this. Um, but, where, but where power has so failed the powerless that it makes me feel sick. So, um, but, but there are lots of different angles on power that, that interest me and politics. You, 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 can't, you can't preach without bumping into that. And you can't possibly read the Bible without noticing the politics in the Bible, all over the place, all over the place. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I mean, I say preach it. <laughs> That's what we're probably going to do. Um, I went to um, uh, each week. I, I I check in with my my colleagues um, about uh, anything that they particularly want us to be aware of. I don't know, I don't know if there's anything that for you at the moment that's particularly that you think people preparing sermons this week should be aware of um that no is a perfectly good answer <laughs> i think what we should all be aware of every week is that we belong within um as the bible did within various swathes 
of empire. Uh, people who are, who are oppressed, the people who are oppressing, the people who collude without even noticing. And that's a Bible thing, but it's also a thing that goes on all the time. And what I mean by empire, um, really, look, look at us. Look what's happening in the world globally. Mm. And also look at how we're all using power to uh, or, or, or colluding and collaborating with power in ways which leave some people utterly powerless. Well, that's empire. Mm. Empire is what takes away individual power. And that's what we continue to do. And I think we don't notice it. We look at it in the Bible and get shocked. And we don't understand that the Bible is happening every single day. The Bible hasn't become irrelevant, but you can't say that it's relevant because that's to try and defend it in some way. The Bible is the reason that the Bible, when you read it, is so interesting is because it it's happening. It keeps happening and recurring. So anybody who I was encouraging to to preach, I would say the Bible is happening read it that way and then look around and see where it's happening and then write that way yeah yeah thank you that's a really helpful reflection I think I think I've, I've definitely discovered that as I've gone along preaching um when you when you first encounter kind of you know anything kind of hermeneutics wise and you start understanding concepts of the time and you think gosh they're so huge these kind of big ideas that were so pervasive in that world and then and then some actually for me then going oh well, okay well what's going on in the world now <laughs> I don't even know I'm living it yeah um yeah um so I, I asked JP um every week uh just to kind of fill me in on stuff I should be aware of uh, and stuff perhaps that we should be aware of as we're going into the into our pulpits and and if there's any news stories or issues in politics that we should just have our um eyes open to and um, and obviously at the moment it's it's continuing this conversation around rising COVID cases, loosening of lockdown, how many children are off school at the moment, vaccine passports, you know, two tier systems, and um, and in our context, but then the world context where actually there isn't equal vaccine distribution. So there's this kind of big big conversation that's been the conversation that's dominated the last year and a half really, but um, it's got particular you know particular edge to it at the moment with loosening of lockdown and um and in that jp had been talking about household debt since the beginning of covid for a long time um and um there is a household debt debate happening on thursday in parliament um and we'd really encourage people who are listening to whilst you're preparing your sermon if you could also email your mp and tell them to attend um you can find all the information out on the reset the debt website which is resetthedebt.uk so that's very easy to find. Um, so we just encourage everybody to go in and get their MP along to talk about Jubilee and what we might be able to do as we come up. Um, and especially because Wind Down a Furlough is happening um, and to, due to start the in July and, and that will certainly cause some issues for a lot of people as well there. Um, on, um, on another note, um, there are still lots of stories coming out around healthcare and um, which has been delayed or cancelled because of COVID. And um, then also lots of evidence recently that perinatal mental health care has been completely decimated by this. Um, and despite it being a particularly stressful year to have had a baby, I can, I can verify for that one. <laughs> um, and then um, climate change and conservation, you know, we're watching um, 
heat waves happening in the world at the moment and the ocean, you know, literally being on fire in the Gulf of Mexico. So just kind of to say, you know, this going into COP is, is a continuing story. Um, and then um, there's ongoing protests in Colombia around tax reform, health reform and corruption um, since May as well, which people may not have picked up on on their news, but it's happening. Um, there's various amendments also being attached to a bill to um, this will go out to, on the same day as those amendments will be discussed in Parliament um, uh, around um, the police crime commissioning bill and um, uh, there's stuff around abortion in that that um, there are lots of briefing papers around on and I would suggest that people might want to read those as well. So there's lots going on in the world <laughs> always um, there's just a tiny sample of a few things that you know uh, are in our inboxes at the moment and so we have our, our kind of our newspapers open in one hand and we open our Bible with the other and kind of um, uh, we've got three readings um, this week. Our Old Testament is 2 Samuel 6, which is David dancing in front of the ark. Um, we've got Ephesians um, and we've got Mark chapter 6, which is um, the story of Herod and Herodias and John the Baptist. Um, so I think the first question really is, Lucy, if you're preaching this week, I don't know if you are preaching this week, but if you're preaching this week, what, where would you go first? What, what would jump out at you is the thing that you think, yeah, this is this is the one. This is the passage or this is the theme or this is the idea I would play with. The first thing I look for is what is the agenda of the lectionary readings? <laughs> I've got that question written in today. <laughs> um, <laughs> What's the agenda of the lectionary? Does one not have to ask that every single time? Somebody has put this together in the same way that the Bible has been uh, written by human beings and hopefully wanting to impart something valuable to the reader. The lection, the people who put together the lectionary are going, notice this, we're not going to actually write you a paragraph about what we want you to think, but hey, we want you to, we want you to sort of concentrate on this, this and this. Um, so I would say that the agenda of the lectionary writer, uh, lectionary choosers, I don't know what they're called. What are they called, those people? I think I'd call them a compiler. But oh, lectionary know. compilers, yeah, but compiler sounds as if they just stack them up, whereas actually what they do is they yeah, they've they picked put them, them in an order that we're supposed to understand what they're thinking. Mm. So, so <laughs> um, and I think one of the agendas uh, running is the idea of contrasting ancient devotion and joy and gratefulness and gratitude and celebration uh, in King in the court and in the ethos of King David with what has happened by the time Herod gets going. But going through via Paul, because um, in many churches, you have to go via Paul because there has to be an epistle. I'm not knocking that at all. Epistles can be fab. Um, and so we've un so so what the lectionary guy is doing or lady is um, underpinning the idea of celebration, joy, delight at Jesus, delight in the fact that we're all God's children and adopted. Isn't that gorgeous? Um, and then, and then slinking on to Mark, where it's all death and mayhem, and it's all looking extremely grim. Mm. And it's a, 
it's a foreshadowing, of course, of what will happen to Jesus. So Mark's very clever. He's, he's the shortest gospel and possibly the most inspired. Nobody, you know, everybody can argue that. But I know several people who think that Mark is the greatest gospel of them all. Um, partly because it's so stripped down. Mm. Anyway, and so we've got a sort of foreshadowing of how dangerous it is to be saying anything that goes against power. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so I don't disagree with with uh, the lectionary compiler and, and, and what they're up to, um, but it's pretty obvious what they're doing. And um, it is lovely that they have left in and not chopped out as the Ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Then we leave it alone. But then at the end, we come into dangerous women again, dangerous women, who, who are going to bring down John the Baptist. Right. So that's a nice echo. Yeah. I, I, some people could go, some people could go off piste and just preach on dangerous women. There's lots of dangerous women in the Bible. I'm tempted. I'm not going to yeah. lie. I'm preaching this week. And I, I, that I think is one of the questions that I've got. And what, what is the Bible doing about women in power here? Um, yeah. I mean, Michael's named, so that's a thing, right? Yeah. Um, but half her story has been chopped out by the legendary editor, which is why I'm asking the same question about what's going on here. Because we've got this missing bit in the middle where um, uh, it's, you know, the Ark, um, you know, uh, you know, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of the God because the oxen stumbled. Um, and then, like, so God's got a bit of wrathful vengeance on, on that. And then it goes to the... Um, you know whose house it goes to who's actually um somebody who's um a resident alien in the land and that bit's kind of edited out by the lecturing compiler so we've got to just jump in the middle and then we have this other bit at the end that's like they're not included which seems like an obvious follow-through of the actual story if you're reading it as a narrative where um david returns home and the whole conversation about michael uh goes out to uh meet him and says what are you doing going around half naked in full view of the servant girls, slave girls? And she's really angry. And then it's like, just because the, the Bible is so great, isn't it? Um, <laughs> sometimes I'm just like, what are you saying? Um, and it says, oh, and Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children. As though that's the punishment meted out on her for being critical of David. And I just think knowing that that's the full text is really important if you're going to preach bits yeah. of it because we saint david don't we he's like you know king david who's marvelous apart from that small slip up with bathsheba um and i just think actually no uriah the hittite died because of that <laughs> i know but i think that's sort of how he gets you know he gets edited into kind of you know interesting ways isn't he it's always I've got a bit of a thing about the fact that all the kids' stories, they're like, they have like four four men that they always use as the Old Testament for children's stories. And, and every single one, I'm just like, you've edited this guy in a particular way I would not agree with. Um, and I feel like the same thing about the lecture we hear, actually. I kind of want to say, no, give the full grit of the Bible. Let's have the whole conversation here about her power, what she's thinking about, his shame, 
how he may have shamed her by being naked, you know, kind of what's actually going on here? Like, I think, so. I think so. I think it's, and also, you know, there's a big question about editing, which one has to, to look at all, all, all the time in the Bible, because events have been edited out and never written down, and they we can't even discuss those. But when you think that the Gospels, three of them come from the same uh, basic source, and people have been picking and choosing. Uh, John is the only one that isn't um, probably based on the source Q that is now lost. So everybody else is picking and choosing from Q what they think is important and then putting a more or less important spin on it. So we one of the big questions in the United Reformed Church and one of the big statements of the, the statements of faith is we believe the word of God is in the Bible, but we don't believe that every word of God, every word of the Bible is the word of God because some of it is pernicious, dangerous, and and is about contamination, is about us and them, um, and as and is also missed out. So that the word of God, if we if we saw it written down, would be very beautiful, very ugly, and a lot longer. Mm. You know, so, so for us, it's it's about Christ. So the Word of God is Christ, um, as revealed through Scripture, is the language that we use, and yeah. um, and it, and so Scripture is a way of, I guess, of seeing through to Jesus, um, and and I always think that 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 can work in a whole number of ways. That that can make you angry, and that can make you sad, and that can make you go, but God wouldn't work like that, <laughs> and that can make you, you know, that is that your whole interaction with, um with this is because it's in relationship to god isn't it ultimately it's, it's christ so so actually how how you kind of the, 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 i think the way it works in as much as i would ever understand because <laughs> i'm not sure i know and i'm not sure we can know but i think there's something about what god does in us and th through scripture i think um i think it's something about how i understand it as i i don't um i don't start from a kind of inerrancy this is a you know a historical fact and there were no dinosaurs i think it's something much more complex and human um in that it's about god's relating to humanity and therefore to us and 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 part of how we receive the that story and continue to be formed and shaped in that story and i also think the big difference obviously at the moment is we receive scripture as a book um that we have not as an like we don't we don't hear it like I mean for a lot of the church and for a lot of the world church for a lot of the church historically it's an odd you know it's audio audible isn't it it's an audible it's not a text text it's an audible text it's yeah. um and we have it as a kind of a written down thing it's a bit of it makes it into an instruction booklet I think sometimes and I don't think well, that also we can only receive you and I can only receive it as white women mm -hmm. so so one of the things that was built in quite early and, and beautifully into the liberation theology that went out to South America um, was the idea of it's an awful, it's an awful mouthful, the hermeneutic of mistrust, which is you read this and you know that it has been written by somebody very different from you, with experiences different from you, 
but hoping and praying to tell you the truth. Mm. And the truth is in God, but not necessarily in the text. So you've got to look down through the text to where God is. Mm. And of course, this idea of, is this a, you know, is there bad news here? Is there good news here? Well, whereas it, it, it is a question of that, but it's also a question of who's good news. Because my good news is not the same as um, somebody in Palestine today. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think if, I, if I could have got rid of the, the very beautiful, um, but, but as it were, underpinning epistle and shoved in 2 Kings 22, we would have then had the lost law. Josiah finding the lost law in the finding that the the temple had fallen into ruin because he'd started at the age of eight and he was now eighteen and ready to properly take over and and run his own kingdom and that the law the law had been lost and that he was going to rebuild the temple he was going to patch it up again and everybody was going to um, follow the law of God again. And I think that would have been fascinating because then you've got the death of John the Baptist. Then you've got all that corruption. And actually the fact that Herod kills John the Baptist partly because he doesn't want to lose face in front of his guests. And you realise how trivial and dangerous and nasty this man is mm. and how far he has fallen from a position of grace or a position of... Um, uh, monarchy bestowed by God because the monarchy, monarchy bestowed by God is an old idea which has gone completely by now completely it's, it's, it's so interesting isn't it that um here he is um and we, we I think the textbook implies that Herodias is to blame but then I think ultimately it makes him seem so weak doesn't it because you can't like you can't even say no to the girl, actually. And and we we hear, you know, who's the good news? We hear this dance. I think I often have heard this dance as a sexual dance, like uh, an erotic thing that's happened. I mean, it's his daughter, so that's very strange if that's what's going on. And and um, actually, that's not necessarily written in the text. That's uh, you know, years of interpretive history that we might want to just question there. Is that an erotic dance? Or is she a little girl, which is the implication, right? That, that actually the word little girl is the word little girl that's been used in the text not very much long before, but Jesus says to a, to the little girl, little girl, get up. So she she seemed to kind of be very, you know, young, probably, you know, premenstrual. Um, so actually, if she's just been made to do an erotic dance, there's something very sinister um, happening. But actually, there's something else saying about actually, you know, he can't, you would say no to an outlandish request from, you know, if you didn't want to do something, you would say no to a girl who shouldn't even be at this banquet customarily. She should be like out of out of sight, you know, guarded by him because it's a patriarchy and that's his job. And and like, actually, he's he's got her on full display and then he can't even say no to her. So ultimately who's the weak person here and he seems to be kind of I think there's something really interesting I kind of want to dig about there and say what's going on that he can't even say no to her um why, why wouldn't you just say oh we'd know that's not don't be ridiculous you can have half my kingdom but you can't just behead a man and um 
yeah, he's clearly, um, yeah, quite, quite a bizarre mm. power, isn't he? That isn't got. it interesting that Herod is weak, Pilate is weak, that these great, big, solid creatures are actually not solid at all. They don't have personality. They don't have backbone or character. You know, uh, and, and this is obviously Pilate is known for washing his hands of the thing. Mm. That's his. That's his legacy is washing his hands of the whole, of the whole horrible debacle with Christ. Yeah, yeah. And, and and Herod is very much set up in the same. Yes. Herod is to John the Baptist what Pilate then is to Jesus, and it's this same idea that they're kind of. They see themselves as politically neutral, like as interested, and they can see that this man is holy even. Um, and therefore it makes an interesting debate partner and an interesting person to listen to, but ultimately they've got no emotion in it and no compassion and no sense of goodness in it because they will kill the person off um, when it's- and no, and no sense of their people as having an opinion worth listening to. Hmm. You know, where it comes to the crowd loves this man, we are not going to love this man. We At the end of the day, where the mob, they would say, I would say crowd, they would say mob, where the, where the mob begins to love somebody, they will begin to hate them. And we see this going on around the world right now. You know, somebody rises to power out of the people and the dictators and the overly powerful people in charge in, in um, nominal democracies put them in prison or quietly get rid of them and nothing's changing we're just using it to do it i have to say i did think it was an interesting idea about whether you could relate media the media and just how we see the world with it um it's the phrase that said um jesus um some were saying jesus's name had become known and some were saying like it doesn't start with the story it starts there doesn't it with the Here's what's going on. <laughs> this is the gossip culture. This is the social, you know, the social media culture of its day. You know that kind of, which at the time was people talking in, you know, in the marketplaces and wherever. But this is what some were saying. This is, and that that therefore affects how we're going to hear what comes next. Um, you know, and look, at how, and look at how different regimes tinker with how one can deal with social media. Hmm. But what happened in America around social media and and the um, and the interference by Russia? Look at ha look at how it's happening now. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's it, it's not a stretch, but it's a jump that you have to make. I agree with you. I think that um, I think that social media is exactly the gossip of Jerusalem at the time, and it's all going on on a bigger scale. I mean, uh, uh, mm. no, I don't mean a bigger scale. There's nothing bigger than evil. But it's all going on on a scale larger in terms of the heads of population. Mm. Almost makes it feel more sicky. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Um... I've got a, I've got a question that I wrote. I wrote on my notes. I'm just looking at them at the moment. Yeah. Um, the, the reality... Uh, that kind of the powerful can enjoy listening and reflecting on people of power 
and that we are doing the same thing as we listen to the kind of mood culture of what has been going on in you know in the world that jerusalem's happening and you know in kind of where you know king herod heard of it jesus name become known so we're listening in the same way and the question is really something about you can acknowledge holiness but without actually being transformed by it and what's the difference you can acknowledge power without being you know transformed by it. you can not can you acknowledge can you acknowledge this without being transformed by it and if you can and that clearly is a human capacity that's shown to us in this text then um what does that say for our kind of personal holiness and our personal kind of us um as 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 powerful church because i think church often looks at itself at the moment in kind of its decline and thinks of its own fragility and and it's it's worried about its own you know perpetuation of power in the future and i think i think the question the worry is that we become the herod right that we're then kind of nervous and uh, operating out of fear and operating out of kind of trying to shore up the future and not wanting to be critiqued and um uh, and actually maybe there's something about saying mm, actually are we acknowledging holiness without being transformed by it as well like is that something that we we're if we're capable of that as human beings is that something that the church is the white western church particularly you know where we are or I am often you know it's not my you know thinking of the church I'll be preaching in on Sunday and I'm thinking this is not going to be a church that's particularly multicultural this is not a church that's going to be yeah it's just this is going to yeah. be the church of, of people with <laughs> academic qualification and power and money and and actually um some not but a lot will and then is it po is it possible to acknowledge holiness and not reflect it yeah Absolutely. completely and and what the the answer the, the question that any church needs to ask itself is who do we not want here those are the people we need to start inviting in what do we not want to do to our church in order to make it convenient and comfortable and loving do we need to put in washing machines do we need to put in shower rooms do we need to change our insurance in order that people can sleep in overnight? Do we have to actually close because we don't want to do any of those things and join a club instead? It's really, really tough questions that people will not ask themselves. But they're the only questions to ask because at the end of the day, Jesus would have asked you that. Jesus would have said, okay, so you're a good bunch of people and um, I quite like you. And now are you going are you, are you to stand up for important things? Or are you just lukewarm? Mm. So, so there's a whole thing in the Bible about contamination and who we touch and who we don't touch. That is going on in everybody's church right now. Some people don't talk to other people in their churches. Some people don't want church to um, reflect the people <laughs> in the houses round about them because they're a gathered community and they've been the same for years and everybody else has gone away. Um, I think if there's one thing, it's this, who do we not want? Because those are the people to invite. Mm. And if you can't do it, think carefully about whether you're a church, truly a church. I don't mean that your building is a church. I mean, what makes a church? because it's not the building. It's not the chit chat with friends that you've had for 45 years over coffee. A church is someone as a, that is manifesting Jesus Christ. 
can you say that? Can you actually say that? And um, and the other interesting thing is there are lots and lots of people in church who are wonderful. They're great individually. And their church is far, far less than the sum of its parts, as opposed to being greater than some of its parts. So you've got all sorts of people in there who are colluding in doing less than they do individually. Less than they do in their own lives with their friends and their family. Well then go and go home. What are you doing? There's some kind of winter food, some sort of comfort food that, that we have turned our church into and we go along and we, and we sit about and we see people we've seen and we pretend the world isn't changing. And we pretend that there are not people who need us to help to learn English or need a homework club or need an old clothes cupboard or need washing and need somewhere to sleep. Hmm. We're not doing that. Ask yourself who you don't like. That's, that's, that's the big, big question. And of course, on a global scale, Herod doesn't like Jesus doesn't like John the Baptist. Nah, not having them. And and I think it's interesting actually, because there's there's the theme of family and friends and those who are like us going on in Mark's gospel at this point, isn't there? Because we've had Jesus say, uh, there's no prophet uh, no prophet with honour in their own land. We've had that conversation in amongst their own kin. You know, who's, isn't this Jesus who's the carpenter and the mother of, you know, his mother Mary's here. And and so he's, he's said, no, it's not, how we this is not how we define ourselves anymore and you've got this thing in Ephesians that you can look to and say well there's a conversation here about adoption as well if you want to go there and there's as Michael's conversation about her you know what family looks like for her and how she's described as the daughter of Saul not the wife of David and as her primary relationship there's all sorts of family stuff that you could pick out of all of these texts but I think Mark's really making this point about you know Jesus has claimed um the, the woman who's been bleeding as his as daughter, uh, you know, Jairus is there as this kind of perfect example of fatherliness, asking Jesus to heal his daughter. And here is this, this new conversation around Herod and his relationships and Herod's daughter and Herodias and, and, and what's going on there. There's a whole set of stuff here, isn't there, about family relating and kind of the, the dynamics of how we are known and how that can shape who we are that's there in the text as well, I think. Um, I think it'd be really interesting. Uh, I think that's very interesting, except that, of course, it's very rare, except by marriage, that you invite somebody into your family. And church families are very good at keeping people out. You know, how many people do churches marry in a year? Mm. So however fascinating the... There's another thing about preaching, of course, which is, uh, you have to preach what people don't necessarily like. Um, this is not comfortable stuff. Mm. You know, you, a, a good church fills up with this stuff. And a weak church, people wander off and join other weak churches where, where things are going well. And I don't mean they're not successful. Successful churches we have to ask ourselves, what is successful preaching? Is it where everybody comes up and says, that was lovely? Or people who come up and argue with you? 
I like it when people come up and argue. I like it when people put their hand up in the sermon and says, I don't agree with that, actually. Can you back, can you back that up? And I have to say, and I say, stay for coffee and we'll try and sort it out. I had one gentleman who always, who always, well, I mean, not every sermon, but he would always put his hand up and say, I, I, I don't think that's right. And I'd say coffee afterwards. Do it. Engage with everybody. It's not, it's, you know, we're not in it to, to, to tell people stuff. We're in it to uh, ask people to do theology, which is really easy because theology is basically, oh, I don't like that. I don't want to listen to that. And uh, yes, I really like that. And then finding out whether any of it is worth the response you gave it. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I, th I think it's I think it's a really interesting question that's come up a lot about the idea that there we we can often be and we have created a model of preaching that is almost lecturing. There's kind of the expert in the room. You're you're all the one with the theological education, you know, probably, or if not a a lot of theological education you may have got a you know a lay preacher's qualification, got something that's that that's that's been the substance of which allows you to be in that space. And and I want to say you know I passionately believe in theological education I think it's really important but there is also something about saying um what about uh what about actually allowing that to be critiqued by the gathered community actually and and actually isn't that really important that we own God's word together that actually we discern the mind of Christ together that it's not just that I have you know, I have the supreme spiritual knowledge over here because I've got a theology degree. That actually, um, something about interacting with scripture and context and community together with the Holy Spirit that does something to us. And and actually, yeah, sometimes yeah. it's about arguing about what's right and arguing and disagreeing. Actually, disagreeing well, I think that is a thing disagree badly sometimes what yeah. a thing um yeah i think it's also people don't realize you know there are there are plenty of people who are doing really good theology and don't know they're doing it mm. because nobody has ever said you're doing theology do you realize that you know they they've been reading their bibles they've been listening to sermons for decades um and if they've managed to stay awake they're they're thinking no I, I don't think god's like that or well that's interesting because god's one way but jesus is another way in the new testament how am i rec reconciling that you mm. know um or they're thinking why have we got why have we got that beautiful holy mountain in isaiah what's the point of that you know what's the point of poetry in the bible well actually the point of that particular one is so glorious can i just say it's political and subversive. It's a political and subversive poem about kosher and non-kosher and getting on with your, your neighbours. It's the lion lying down with the lamb and he couldn't possibly have said, we need to get on with our neighbours because our neighbours were contaminated. So he had to say it a different way. But everybody would have thought, well, that's funny, isn't it? Farmyard creatures and wild creatures. Who are the wild creatures? The wild creatures are the others, are the strangers, are the Gentiles. It's highly political. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And it's dangerous. And if anybody had spotted what he was saying, 
he wouldn't have been allowed to write it down. He would have been popped away somewhere and told to look after little children or something. Yeah. So it's an invitation this week to do some dangerous preaching, I think. <laughs> Every, week. Every, Every week. week. Every week. Every week. And don't think, will they like it? Think, will they feel it? Ooh. On that superb note, <laughs> I want to thank you for coming on because oh, we are. I've had a lovely time. Thank you very it's much. It's been an absolute riot to talk to you. <laughs> I've loved it. Um, I feel like my brain and my heart together have done a workout chatting. Yes, thank, you. thank you. I'm going to think about how to make my preaching dangerous um, on Sunday, and um, uh, I'll let you know if I if I manage to uh, to do that. Uh, and if really like grows tomatoes, then then I've gone too far. Well, not <laughs> probably not actually. Well, the nice thing is I'm rec I'm recording mine, so I it's a hybrid service, and so I get to do it from afar, which I have to say doesn't feel like proper preaching because you can't be interrupted. Um, but, um, <laughs> it, it does make my life a little bit less complicated on a Sunday morning. You can by locate. It's very exciting. Um, so we're going to go out um, just to say as well to anybody who's been listening, thank you for joining us. Um, yeah, and uh, we hope that this has helped as you prepare your sermon for the week. And um, do please share us. And um, uh, if, if it's if it's a resource that's helpful for you, please pass on the news. Um, we, we'd, we'd love it um, if, we, if we are good news for you. <laughs> tell other people. Um, and, um, and yes, so let's go into our politics and into our pulpit um, with a blessing. May we be anointed with God's spirit as we bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen. So be it.